So I realized that it is Mother's Day, and so I thought of a liturgical response for Mother's Day. I will say Happy Mother's Day, and you would say, Mother's Rock Indeed. <laughs> happy Mother's Day! Ah, actually, I might get in trouble for that one. That, okay, Kim, come up here, would you? We are going to continue our series in Ephesians. I remember when Kim found out we were going to talk... Do you guys know who Kim is? This is Kim. She, she goes to Cal. She's a college student. This, Kim, this is the church. This is what it looks like from up here. Now, uh, there, there was one time after I introduced the Ephesians series, I said, we're going to go through this book, and Kim came up to me and said she's very excited. You're really excited that we're going through a book of the Bible called Ephesians? And so I thought, well, let's showcase her excitement and have her explain why she's excited. Why? Right? Okay, so, so really, um, Kim, as you shared with me that this book, the message of this book, Ephesians, you said that it has brought, historically, some real change to your life, right? Like, you've read this book before, you love this book, because it has impacted you. Now, how has the message of this book impacted your life? How has it changed your life? So, actually, like, four years ago... Um I heard a message that my pastor from my home church gave um, on Ephesians 4.29, and I'm just going to read the verse. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So I guess, I don't know, just ever since listening, listening to my pastor preach about that verse and just thinking about it more deeply myself afterwards I think I don't know that after that day I just really wanted to let that live more I don't know intentionally in terms of just giving people affirmations and encouragement and I felt like I don't know it just made sense that to let my words be I don't know something that could be um, helpful for building other people up. Yeah, that's great. Thank, thank you, Kim. And uh, really, I think your life is a living testimony of the difference that God made. And I'm going to do a little bit of a test right now for all those people who know Kim and have found her to be a very encouraging person. Would you raise your hand? Okay, that's pretty much everyone that knows you in the church, right? <laughs> so, so really. Um, but you were telling me a little bit about what you were like, at, you know, prior to this verse, and, mm -hmm. and it, it, you just weren't the same person. I think you, you painted that, that picture uh, pretty accurately. Um, I just have one more la last question for you. Now, reading a book of the Bible, I mean, because, you know, we're going through a book of the Bible, and the truth is that not everyone in the church is into it, you know? Like, maybe they'd rather me just be topical. Hey, today we're talking about dating, you know, then woo, you know, but, but we're going through the book of the Bible. People are like, uh, some people are, are really on it. Other people are not as much. You happen to be one of the people who really enjoy going through, you know, a book of the Bible, a Bible. Why do you enjoy it? How, how did you, were you, were you born that way? Did, did, did it just, it just, you, you just like that? Or is it something that you developed? Just curious. Mm, I think for me specifically, it happened with a special experience I had studying a passage from the Bible. Um, it was also like my senior year of high school. I did an inductive Bible study on John 9, and that passage was about um, 
a blind man who was healed by Jesus on the Sabbath. And then, but what happened afterwards was the Pharisees wanted to, I don't know, just investigate the situation and show that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. And so he, the Pharisees, like, took the blind man in. They even called his parents in and were just, like, asking what happened. And the parents were like, yeah, he was blind. Now can he, he can see. But they denied Jesus to be the Messiah. But then the blind man, when he answered, he was like, yeah, this is Jesus performing a miracle. And now, you know, I see. And I see that he is a man of God. He's a prophet. And then but then, because he said that, he got cast out of the synagogue by the Pharisees. And then, so, I don't know, I was just, like, doing a Bible study on that specific passage. And then, all of a sudden, I just felt, like, really excited. That even though on the surface, the blind man was, like, cast out of the synagogue, really was just so great that he was included in God's, God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. So, I don't know, so I just... Ever since reading my, that passage and just finding my excitement for, for the blind man who wasn't blind anymore, I just wanted to read more passages and just think more about, I don't know what it means. And yeah, I realized that I really appreciate like being insightful or making realizations from Excellent. God's word. Yeah. Thanks, Kim. Thank you so much for... You know, engaging with the scriptures and then being here to encourage everyone else. So God bless you. Thank you. Okay. Um, Let me just just say this. Um, One of my kids is kind of a picky eater. And by picky, I mean he will only eat bland foods like, you know, like rice wrapped with seaweed. Then you throw in a little bit of boiled chicken or something like that, right? And so his teacher said something. That was really inspirational for us. The teacher told, his teacher told this class that you have to eat something 15 times before you actually enjoy it. And so we will actually uh, say that back to our child. Here are carrots. This is time number eight. <laughs> you know, you, you got a little bit more ways to go before it's 15 and you actually start to enjoy it. it, it can it be the same way with scripture? Like, the, the first time you read Ephesians, you're like, you know, huh? I, I, don't, I don't get it. It's very confusing. It's very abstract. It's, is, this, is this in English? You know? Maybe it's an acquired taste for you. Maybe you've got to read it 15 times before you, it actually the penny drops, before the light goes on, before you go, I think I'm actually starting to get it. Now, big, big overview of Ephesians, Okay? Hopefully, this will help you enjoy it more. Uh, this is actually some insight from Watchman Nee. And he had some terrific insight about the book of Ephesians. He has this commentary. It's a short little book. It's a great read. He says this. If he were to summarize Ephesians, the first three chapters, in one word, the one word would be Sit. Now, when I'm sitting down, I am completely at rest. There's no tension in my joints or my muscles. There's no tension on my bones, you know. I'm, I'm just totally at rest, right? All of me is relying upon the structure and the strength of the chair. 
So the chair is actually taking it for me. But I'm just here, just resting. Right? Now, this is, this is what Watchman Nee says. Those three chapters, you can sum it up in one word, sit. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated, seated, you got, seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now, you, you have to understand that. I, we're going to go really practical today, right? So, chapters 4, 5, and 6, the summary word is walk. Walk as a Christian. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times when someone becomes a Christian, they're like, okay, I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to start walking. I'm ready to start acting like a Christian. And, and Paul's like, no, 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 no. The first thing you need to do and learn is just to sit. You just, you just gotta, you gotta rest in Christ first. And to the degree that you learn how to rest in Christ, that will be power and strength to actually walk in Christ. And in other words, you, you can't really walk as a Christian. And then you first learn to rest and sit as a Christian. Because all the walking, all the work, all the earning for salvation has already been done by Jesus. And to the degree that you know that, whoo, you now have strength to actually do what needs to be done. To the degree that you learn to rest in Jesus, to that degree you will, be, you will have power and drive to do what needs to be done. Okay? You are a human being, not a human doing. Right? Like that? Okay. So now we are in chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we are getting really practical. We are getting really practical. And you'll see this in a moment. We're going to go and start with verse 17. Okay? Um, in verse 17 to 19, Paul talks about the kind of people that we used to be before finding Christ. And he paints a very dark picture. I would say for me personally, I agree 100% with the picture that he paints, at least for myself, before I found God. And then he goes to verse 20, okay? But that, the life that you lived before you met Christ, that before you received Christ, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Now I want to point this out. He doesn't say that is not the way you learned to be good. He doesn't say that is not the way you learn to behave. He says that's not the way that you learned Christ. And, and Paul basically he says it very succinctly. We're not here for moral education. We're not here just to learn a way of life. Uh, you know, uh, some parents actually come back to church once they start having kids. And the thinking is, well, I want my kids to have a moral education, so I'm going to drop them off at church so they can be morally trained. Uh, let me just make it clear. Our church is not just teaching moral education. We're teaching a person. So when we come, it's not like, hey, do this, different, do that. No. We're here to know and worship and love a person. And if you know and love and worship a person, then there's change, but it's inside-out change. It's not just behavioral modification, but it's love that comes from a heart that's full. 
real change. 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. 22, okay. 22 is like, bam, key verse, okay? 22, to put off. I want you guys to say, put off with me. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on, and you guys hear you say, put on. Put on the new self. Okay, so there's the old self, and now there's the new self. Okay, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, listen, Paul is saying there are, um, there are two selves. There are two yous. There is the old you and there is the new you. And when a person becomes a Christian, when a person receives Jesus and the Holy Spirit, Basically, they're saying, I'm going to put off, I'm going to die to the old me. And I'm going to live for, come alive, and put on the new me. Now, the old me, this is how he describes it. Futile, darkened, alienated, ignorant, hard, callous, sensual, greedy, impure. Okay, this is 17 through 19, right? Corrupt through your deceitful desires. That's the old, everyone has an old self. And everyone, if you're in Christ, you have a new self. And the new self, Paul describes as renewed in the spirit of your minds. Not just what you do, but how you think. Not just how you think, but your attitude. Not just your attitude, but your heart. It's a holistic change. And not just what you do, but it's who you love. The new self is created in the likeness of God. This is what, uh, 24. Uh, renewed in your mind. True, righteous, Holy. Now, here's the thing. Paul used the image of clothes. And so, this is, it's almost like he's suggesting, like, tonight, you're probably going to take off your clothes. Right? And when you take off your clothes, you got to remember that commitment you made. Because when you, when, you, you, when you were a Christian, when you got baptized, you made this commitment to say, no more to the old self. So, you remember, you take off, you take off your clothes, like, I'm not going to be that guy. And in the morning, you wear your new clothes, right? Right? Everyone here except the teenagers, right? Uh, you wear your new clothes. You put on your new, your new t-shirt, your, sh your shirt. When you do that, remember, remember, you are putting on your new identity. You're putting on the new self. It's not just external behavior modification. It's a whole new changed person. It's a whole new identity. New self, old self, new self, old self. Okay, now Paul is going to get really practical. He's going to talk about five areas in your life where we need some change. Five areas in your life where we need some change. Number one, lying. Number two, anger. Number three, stealing. Number four, negative talk. Number five, bitterness. Okay, now while I'm sharing these things and describing these things, what I want you to do is just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I bet you the Holy Spirit is going to come and just put a finger on one or two of these things for your life personally. Alright, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, 
Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay, putting away, okay, so remember put off, putting away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth. Speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we're members of each other. We're members of each other. We belong to each other. We're all in this together. Now, I read uh, verse 25, and it's about lying. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about our church. I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking, I don't think we struggle with this one. Okay, what's the next one? But soon after I thought about it, God brought a memory to mind. Uh, There were members of our former youth group. You know, they're all guys. They came over one time to my house, and this totally surprised me. I'm like, wow, all of you. There's four of them, right? They all came. It was like 5 o'clock they came over. And I was thinking, you know, I don't know if we have enough food in the kitchen to actually feed them. You know, that was my, that was my first thought. How am I going to feed you guys? But they came over. We're hanging out. We're like throwing the ball around. We're having a lot of fun. And I said, hey, let me give you a tour of my house. So I gave them a tour of my house. We go upstairs. We go to the garage. And one of them said, wow, you have so many books on your bookshelf, pastor. And then he said this one. I said, did you read them all? Now, uh, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me tell you a little thing about pastors, okay? We like to order a lot of books and like never read them. Okay, that's what pastors do. That's what pastors do. This is the thinking. Oh, that's a good book. I'm going to order it. Oh, that's good. I, I order it. And then I have a stack of books by my bed. And I go, you know, I'm going to take them all when I have free time. And the free time <laughs> never appears, right? So you, the books that stack just grows higher. And that's what pastors do. That's, that's what Calvin does. I mean, <laughs> now, so, you know, I'm looking, this, this is a bright-eyed young person. I've invested in this person. I've decided, so what they think about me really matters, but I'm a man of the cloth. You know, integrity is to the core of my being, right? I got to be honest before God. So I looked at him and I said, of course I read them all. I said, I said, I don't believe I said, I said, I can tell you the main idea of each book on my bookshelf. Now, can I tell you the main, bo- the main idea of every book? N- no. You know why? Because a third of them are Raina's books. I haven't... And then a third of the books that I own, I have never even opened. So how can I say the main idea of having even opened the book? Right? And so, you know, what I, did, what I did is I actually proceeded to give him a little lesson on how to read a book. Oh, gosh, when you go to graduate school, you're going to waste so much time reading every word. You've got to learn how to read the table of contents and the conclusion. You've got to interact. You know, I'm giving this little lesson. And then they left. And then <laughs> I had a moment alone with God. And God just <laughs> convicted me. You lied. I didn't lie. Exaggerate. I lied. I lied. The, the youth are right there. You guys, I lied. I lied to you. That, that was just not true. I, I don't know why I did that. You know why I did that? I can tell you why I did that. I did that because I wanted them to think better of me than I really am. That's, that's the honest truth. I want them to think I'm more of a voracious reader than I am. I, I'm more of a well-learned person than I am. I wanted them to think that. So I lied. Now, here's the thing. I think we do this together. I don't think I'm, you know, am I the only one? Someone's not in their head saying yes, but I don't think I'm really the only one. Now, now listen, 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 listen. If you were going through a hard time, something terrible happened to you, or you did something terrible, or you're fighting with your spouse, or you, you had a falling out with your best friend, would you come in here, even though you're crushed inside, and would you let a small group of people know what's really happening to you? I bet you our first inclination is to say no. 
I bet you a lot of us would rather hide and put on a mask and just pretend that we have it all together. We have a perfect marriage, a perfect family, perfect kids. And it's hard for us to let people know that that's not true. So we rather hide behind this mask, you know, and say, everything's great. I'm, I'm a model person. You can learn from me. And Paul says, listen, put away falsehood. Speak the truth of who you are, your brokenness, your pain. Share it with each other. I'm not saying that come and announce it before the pulpit. But what about in your home group? What about small group? What about some close friends in this church? Christian accountability where you can just be real. I'm broken. I'm hurting on this issue. I did something that I'm really embarrassed about. Because we belong to each other. Isn't that what Paul says? We are members of one another. We're in this together. You know, recently, Raina was going through a really hard time, and she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let the people in my home group know what's going on. And she just told them. I, I couldn't believe she did that, because normally she's a very private, very, very guarded person. But she said, you know, that's what home group's for, because we are members of one another. We are in this together. And here's the thing. You ever notice in a small group, one person just breaks the ice? takes off the mask and goes, you know, this is my stuff. I I really screwed up in this. What happens to the group? Suddenly, the whole group is like, whoa, that's a whole new... I I guess I can take my mask off too. It's contagious. Try it sometime. Uh, Take off that mask. Speak the truth to each other. For we are members of each other. Okay. The next issue. uh, Verse 26. Be angry and what? And do not sin. Be angry and do not sin, Paul says. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. I just want to talk about the last part and then we'll unpack the first part. Paul says, give no opportunity to the devil. So really, this is one of the devil's primary schemes. You know, I know as part of this church family, there have been really cool people who have left because of unresolved anger issues, conflict that was not resolved. This is how Satan works. You got it. So don't be ignorant of his schemes. He is actively trying to use those places of unresolved conflict to bring you down in your relationships. Okay. So that's verse twenty-seven. But let me unpack verse twenty-six and uh, verse twenty-six. Okay. This is really fully nuanced. Now, when it goes, when it comes to resolving conflict and dealing with anger, people tend to do it in one of two ways. Okay. First. There is the person that wants to deal with the anger and resolve the conflict right away. And this person will assign the the characteristics of a certain animal. This is the tiger. Now, the tiger wants to deal with conflict straight on. They don't want to wait. They want to take care of business right away, even when the emotions are fresh and hot. So they will will come at you. And they they will deal with their anger and unleash their anger, and it's all for you, okay? Now, are there any tigers in this room? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Go ahead and raise your hand. If someone is elbowing you, that means you're one. Go ahead and just raise your hand. Okay? Very few. Then maybe you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. Okay, so there's a tiger, and then there's the turtle. The turtle, what does the turtle do? The turtle will actually, when conflict comes, will try to avoid the conflict. They don't like it. It feels uncomfortable. So they they go back into their shell. They hide. They deal with it internally. Okay? So they, okay, I saw someone pointing to someone else. Is anyone here a turtle? Raise your hands. 
Okay, there's more turtles than tigers. I will say this, a bit of a personal confession. When I married Raina, I was a tiger and she was a turtle. Now after 10 years of marriage, it's almost 10, my, my point is that people change. <laughs> okay, no, you, you think I'm going to say, oh, Raina is now a tiger. I'm not going to say that. Raina is now a, um, a, a dragon. <laughs> No, no, I, I'm saying, I'm saying, it's Mother's Day. Raina is an owl. Wise, right? No, no, Raina actually, okay, she would, you just have turtle tendencies. She's actually moved towards the middle. You know, I like to think that I brought it out of her, but she is, she is, she is, she's amazing now, you know? For the, for the most part, for the most part, she is really good. Like, nowadays, okay, those first two years of marriage were preparation for now, because nowadays we have kids, and we have kids that are small. You don't have time to go through hours and hours of, let me hear you, and I, and I was hurt when you... Nowadays, it's like, oh, Raina, I really messed up when I said this. Can you let it go? You know what she says? Sure. And She does. It's amazing. I'm just like, wow, what? It, that's really cool. Um, so it's, anyway, that's, <laughs> and, you know, because we don't have time, so we just, just let it go, and she just lets it go. She meditates on the gospel, you know, and, uh, and I'm trying to learn my lesson. Okay, now, the, the scripture, you would, you would be amazed at the scripture. This scripture is, is, is amazingly nuanced. Because for the tiger, there's a word in verse 26. And for the turtle, there's another word. It's, it's wonderfully balanced. I don't know if you see it. Do you see it? Okay, you tigers. I know there's more of you than raised your hands. You, come on, Bruce is not the only tiger. I'm, I'm one too, you know. I, I, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> the word for tigers is this. Be angry and do not sin. You see that? It's right there. Be angry and do not sin. Now, this is what the tigers do, okay? Tigers deal with it when emotions are fresh and hot. So they say all sorts of things with no constructive value whatsoever. Any, any tiger relate to that? You, you will disparage the person with your words. It's, it's either the insult or you know that memory from years past. And if you bring that art out, you will totally disarm them. You know that weakness. You know them. And so you bring it out. And it's like this arrow and you just, you just, you know, you just, you shoot it right into them. Now, I know this because I'm a tiger. I do, I can do the same thing. Okay, okay, some tigers do that. Other tigers, they do this. <laughs> they just vent. Right? Any venters in this room? Right, you, you vent, you know? And what, what you do is like, it's, it's not like I'm trying to hurt you, I'm just venting my feelings. And what you do when you vent, and there's anger, emotion tied to those words, you will say things that you will regret later, and you can't take it back. But what happens a lot when you're venting is, I will vent, and I'll, it's almost like I'm vomiting on you, I'm venting on you, right? And then I feel much better, I'm like, oh, I feel so much better after that. How do they feel? There's all these fresh injuries that you have incurred by just your venting. Now they need to vent. And so if they're a tiger, they will vent back at you. Okay, they vent back at you. You know, it's like you, you, you pass, someone, you're passing the rock here. Woo, now I'm, I'm burdenless. But they have a burden now, and they have to give it back to you. And it goes back and forth and back and forth until someone eats it. Someone's got to eat it. Or as my mom used to say, someone's got to bury it. Right? Here's the thing. 
You know that thing you could say that would really dig into them. You don't say it. You know that threat or that ultimatum you could give. You don't give it. You know that thing that could really, you know, disparage them. You don't, the memory from the, you don't bring it up. You never, couples, never, never use the word divorce. Never. When you bring it up, it's fueled by, never even let it come out of your lips. Never even use the word. Never. Never. You put it off. Paul seems to think that you actually, by the Spirit, have control over the things that are coming out of your mouth. Put it off. Don't, okay, don't drop the F-bomb. Okay, one tip for tigers. One one tip for tigers. Have you ever said, honey, or if it's with your friend, don't say that, but just say, just say, you know, I need a little space. I'm probably going to say things that I'll regret later. So I just want to take a little bit of space, pray, meditate on the gospel, and then when I come back, I'll be in a much better place. It doesn't mean I don't care about the relationship. I care, and that's why I need some space. And then you come back. Why? Because the scripture says, be angry and do not sin. All right, turtles. Most of us are turtles. The word for you is... Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, what, what, the, what the turtle does is, uh, the turtle will withdraw. And, and when the turtle withdraws, maybe the turtle will actually never come out again. Or the, what the turtle does is, is withdraws and there's something in the heart that also withdraws. And when the turtle withdraws and, and doesn't come out, there's something about the relationship that disintegrates. And what turtles can do if they're a friendship, they might get too busy for you so they'll avoid you because they're still angry. So they'll avoid you and unintentionally or intentionally the relationship will just drop and die. Or they will intu- intuitively just go, you know something, I'm just going to cut off the relationship. It's really sad when you see a married couple and one person has totally disengaged with the relationship because they have let the sun go down on their anger. Now, if there's any turtles out here and you're in relationships like that, I'm pleading to you from Paul's words, don't let the anger go down. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Please, don't let today... Today, the sun go down while you're still angry at the person that you're angry at. You have the resources in Christ to change. You have the resources in Christ to work it out. You can work it out by the power of God's gospel. It's it's not worth it just to let it go. It's worth the tension. It's worth the clear articulation. It's worth saying, look, you hurt me when you did this. Now, some of you, the Holy Spirit is saying... This relationship I want you to tend to today. Don't let another minute, don't let another day go by without you resolving this conflict with this person. Don't drop the friendship. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Okay? For some of you, you can forgive someone. You don't necessarily need interaction to forgive someone. But you need interaction to really reconcile. Some of you actually need to talk to the person. And I challenge you, do it today. Don't let another day go by. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Okay, verse 28, stealing. 
stealing. I, I want to quickly point this out. I'm not going to make a big point on stealing. Uh, Paul says, let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I just want to point this out. Paul is not like a big, like, no, 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 no. Paul's like, no, yes. The yes is even better than the no, and that is the motivation for saying yes. He's saying, don't be a thief, don't steal, don't mooch off of other people. Why? Have meaningful, gainful employment so you can share, you can be a generous person, you can give to those people in need. He's not saying a big no, he's saying no, yes, yes to this. Verse 29, negative talk. Verse 29, negative talk. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul is talking about corrupting talk versus talk that builds up people versus talk that gives grace to people who are those around you. And I just want you guys to each think, which kind of person are you? Most of your words, are they tearing down or are they building up? I want, I want each of you to think about that. Some of you, and I know this because I'm friends with a lot of you, have a, something called a critical spirit, you know? And maybe you would say, actually, my words come out of my heart because when I see the world, I don't see it necessarily as colorful. I sh see it in shades of black. Like I'll, I'll walk into a room or a situation or a group and I will automatically know what is wrong with the situation, the room, and the people. I have an eye for seeing what's wrong and maybe it's fueled together by, you know, your parents are Chinese and the tiger dad and mom kind of, you know, it's, it's not the 99 that you got right, it's the one thing you got wrong and maybe you've kind of been trained to think that way. Some of you might actually say, all my life I've actually seen this as a gift and I've called it the gift of discernment. I've called it the gift of wisdom. I was thinking about this and I think you actually might have a point that actually might be a gift. But the corrupting talk and the critical spirit is the shadow side of that gift that needs to be put off. You know as well as I do that by naming the thing that's wrong and naming it and continuing to name it does not help the situation. You guys know people like that? Does that ever really help for someone to continue naming what's wrong and seeing what's wrong and always talking about what's wrong? It's easy to criticize. It's hard to build up and fix up. And so we need to realize that things will not get better until we see, see with the heart what is right. And then we use our words to build up because we've identified in our heart what is right with the person, what is beautiful, what is working. That encouragement causes people to have new energy and new, uh, new, new heights of love. That brings out the best in other people. Now, just, just a few thoughts for you. For those of you who are spouses in this room, how do you talk about your spouse when your kids, I'm sorry, when your spouse is not there in front of your kids? I just want you to think about that. When your spouse is not there, you're in front of your kids, how do you represent the other spouse? 
Do you know that what you say to your kids about your other spouse is actually either cementing their mentoring relationship or it's tearing it down. It's saying, your mom or your, or your dad, there's nothing good. They're a loser. You can't really learn from them. Right? Or do you build them up like, your dad, your mom is an amazing person. And you have so, you, are, you have no idea how lucky you are to, to have a mom like that. I'll tell you. But what are you doing when you're doing those words? You're going, wow, mom has a lot to teach me. I think I will listen. And here's another one. How do you talk about your boss in front of the other employees when your boss is not there? Oh my gosh, you have no idea how much power you have in either building up your... Hi, Lynn. No, I'm kidding. Building up your boss and saying, that is a woman or a man worthy of respect. Or saying, that person's a loser. I don't know why any of us are following him or her. You, you have that power. Oh my gosh, you don't know how much power you have. Now, look at this passage. Corrupt. Build up. Give grace. Those are the power that words have. It's like you're dealing with these things all the time. You're saying all sorts of stuff. And you have no idea the power that are in, that's in your words. Build up or destroy with your words. 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, just one last illustration. What is bitterness? I want to talk about bitterness. Bitterness, I, I, this is a working definition of bitterness. Okay, I, just want, I want to try to clearly define it. Bitterness is unforgiveness compounded with time. Okay? Uh, Dion, would you please stand up? Would you hold my coffee mug? Just hold it like that. Actually, hold it in one hand. And can it be kind of like, you know, like an arc like this? Okay. Now, look at Dion. I want him to hold my coffee mug. Now let's pretend an hour goes by. He's holding my coffee mug. How would he feel? Maybe a little bit sore, right? Actually, with Dion, okay. <laughs> Three hours later. No, come on, you're human. You would feel a little bit of soreness, okay? Six hours later, how would Dion feel? Maybe numb. Maybe he start to feel a little bit numb. You know, kind of blood. He needs to pump some blood into the arm. What about 10, 15 hours later, what happens? Oh my gosh, he's feeling muscle fatigue. Give it a couple days and there's total muscle failure. But you go, wait, well, it's just a little cop. It's just, what is that, three pounds? Two pounds? One pound? <laughs> Not even one pound. Okay, you, can, you can put down, you can put down. Thank you, Dion. Thank Here, here's the point. That is how bitterness works. It can be just a little injury. But if it is not forgiven and appropriately dealt with, over time, it becomes a huge thing. Have you ever seen someone who's bitter towards you? Oh my gosh. Everything you do is misinterpreted. Everything you do is offensive. Your whole face is offensive. <laughs> Why? Because they've been holding on to that little thing for so long. And there's muscle fatigue. They can't even see you the right way. Everything misinterpreted. You guys have been in those relationships. It's happened to you from time to time. Every, and this is what Paul says. Paul says, let all bitterness be put away from you. As God in Christ forgave you, forgive one another. There's no other solution. You need the resources of the gospel. You have to meditate on the gospel. God has forgiven me billions and billions in Christ. 
I can forgive the thousands and thousands that this guy has, has, is in debt to me. I can forgive the, the, the coffee mug because God has forgiven the huge giant boulder of my mess-ups. You need that resource. You need to actively forgive or you need to actually talk to the person and say, let's talk about this. I've been holding this against you. When you did this, it hurt me. Look, it starts small, but compounded with time, it changes your whole demeanor towards the other person. You got to root it out. Okay. I've given you five things to consider. Now, let me tell you how the Holy Spirit works. I can tell you five things and I can give you a concept. The Holy Spirit will put a finger on one thing or two things and say, this one is for you. Work on this. Change needs to happen here. It's amazing. I can give one message and the Holy Spirit can give a hundred different messages to the people in this room. Maybe you've been spiritually dry for a long time. And you're like, you know, it's been like this for a long time. I'm not going to change. I mean, I'm here because I'm scared of hell. But Pastor Andrew talks about enjoying God, loving God, being mesmerized by it. That's not me. <laughs> the gospel gives you the resources to change. My wife came home after a, a mentoring talk with Sharon. It's a great story. And she goes, you know, I'm going to go to bed like an hour earlier and wake up 30 minutes earlier. And I'm going to spend time with God because I've been spiritually dry. Oh my gosh, you've heard it for the longest time that people with young kids, it's just spiritual dryness. There's nothing that can change that. That's just a life stage. My wife has the guts with Sharon's help and Lynn's help to say, no, that can change the gospel. I can be intimate with God even though I have young kids. Some of you have gone through long-standing patterns of dysfunctional relationships. Some of us have been divorced. You're like, I can't sustain a long-term best friendship, meaningful, that's clear of conflict, that when there's conflict, we deal with it, and we grow strong. That just hasn't been my pattern. The gospel gives you the resources that change. You, You can change. Well, what is it in your life that God's going to put a finger on and say, this thing can be changed by my gospel power. And do you have the boldness to say, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to put it off. I'm going to put it on. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that for your glory. I'm going to do that for my enjoyment of these relationships. I'm going to do that for my marriage. I'm going to do that so I can be the parent. Some of you have never had a discipleship relationship with your kids. Like you never talk about Jesus. It just hasn't really come out. It's been like since they were kids. It'll never change. Oh, no. The gospel gives you the resources to change. You can change. You can have that relationship. But you got to put off and put on. you got to do your part. But God, God's saying, like, I'm inviting you. You can do this. You can do this with my help. I'm calling you to do this. So what is that thing that you said, you know, I, I, I haven't really changed. It's been like that for a long time. I don't think there's really any much hope in there. They can change. Now, I want you all to stand up and say, God, is there something in my life that you want to put a finger on to be changed by the gospel? To be changed by your spirit? To be changed by your power? I'm going to invite the, uh, the worship team to come up, and they're just going to play. And for two minutes, you're just going to come before God and say, Holy Spirit, do you want to put a finger on something in my life? Because I'm all ears. Examine me. Search my life. 
Tell me if there's something that you want to change. I bet you if you do that, God will put a finger on. Maybe some of the five that we talked about, maybe something outside of the five, but God is a communicating God. He's a convicting God. The Holy Spirit speaks. You know he's alive today, right? You know he's working. God, would you speak to your people and change them? From the inside out, would you change us? But would you tell us what it is that you want us to change?